thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. I want to get out the gate. I'm going to go out the gate right now to affirm and to confirm and to reaffirm that God our Father is a really amazing, awesome, terrific, holy, loving Father. Amen. Could we give him a hand? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's praise him. And you see, in America, we are living in a fatherless society. That's why we have so many people involved in drugs and alcohol, in sex that is not the right sex because it's illicit. We've seen uh, crime on the rise. We see 2.6 million human beings behind bars in this country, in the prisons. We see 11.7 million people going through our jail system every year. Another 20 million people on paper, meaning parole, probation, and their families. Over 10 million children in this country whose mom and dads are behind bars, and they are eight times more likely to become inmates as well. So we have a problem. We have an epidemic coupled with a church that have chosen not to pray. So this morning, I want to share with you about our Father and also tell you that the ministry that, that God the Father called my wife, Barbara, who's here with me today, and I, is to bridge the gap. Bridge the gap. It's a big gap between those inmates who are now Christians and the local church, by us together, for them facilitating the integration of them into the church, workplace, and society through biblical discipleship. That's our vision. And we do that by building bridges and restoring hope. We build them by, through going in the prison all over this country, and also by Giving them hope, restoring hope, H-O-P-E, helping others pursue eternity through our Meet Me at the Gate Ministries, Meet Me at the Gate, and through our Radical Time Out. So this morning, on behalf of my father, I want to invite you to enter into this perpetual love affair that God the Father has with Jesus Christ, who is not only our Lord and Savior, is not only our majestic being, is not only a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human, but the Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter two tells me that he's also my older brother, and he's also going to be my future husband. That's why he went to prepare my honeymoon suite. Hallelujah! You see, and he wants us to have our dress without any stain or any wrinkle, with a lamp full of oil looking up to him, having a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I am praying already as I'm 
preaching the word of God today, that you will accept that invitation today. There were two men that were fighting over, is God black or is God white? And they were going to work in the same vehicle. Usually our fights are over stupid stuff, isn't it? So they were going to work, and they kept fighting, no, God is black, no, God is white. And they made it to work. But then on their way home, they keep it up, and they kept up that fight, and they got intensified. And the guy that was driving was not looking forward, you see. And they both hit this post, and they both got killed. But because they used to attend Calvary Chapel Aurora, they made it to heaven. And guess who was at the gate? Peter was at the gate. And they say, Peter, tell me right now, is God black or is God white? He say, hey, guys, you're going to be here now for eternity. You don't have to keep fighting. Let me sit right here. I'm going to call on God, and you're going to find out for yourself. So they keep arguing. No, God is black. No, God is white. And finally, they hear these big steps. Boom. Boom. Say, oh, there's God coming. You're going to see he's black. No, you're going to see he's white. And finally, God walks in and says, buenos dias, amigos. <laughs> ha! He's not. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's not. Hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. He's not black. He's not white. He's Cuban. Hallelujah. <laughs> I happen to be a Christian that happens to be Cuban. You know, I went to Wheaton College. I was the first ex-convict ever to attend there to finish a BA degree and a master's by the grace of God. And I always tell people, man, before I went to Wheaton, I went to Yale. I said, man, what is a guy like you, a Cuban refugee that went to, to, went to Yale? I said, no, 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 I went to jail. <laughs> See, so you have to, you have to, you have to uh, pay attention to my accent. Okay. So don't lose me now, okay? But I also think that you also have an accent, you see? So we both have an accent. So I am so happy to be here. I love you, Pastor. Never met him before. Could you imagine that? And I'm here. He's a risky Christian, you know? <laughs> but but, but, but he's, he sent me an email on Wednesday and said, Manny, you're going to meet the most loving, amazing, radical people ever. And he's not wrong. You guys have loved my wife and I amazingly. I'm thankful for you, for your pastoral staff, for your security. This is a real, good, well-run oil machine. It really is. So I want to thank you, Pastor. Um. As you know, the Cubs, you know the Cubs from Chicago? They just won the World Series. You know that, right? You heard that? And you know why they won? Because they finally hired two Cubans. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. We're going to play baseball. Now, where's John at? John, where are you? Where, John, where are you? John, come on, John. I, I, I heard that John is the superstar of the Calvary Chapel softball team. Let's see if that's true. Okay? All right? 
So listen to me, guys. I'm going to hit you three baseballs. I'm not kidding. I'm telling you the truth. You think I'm kidding? How can I kid you about this stuff? This is all truth. We ain't, you know, we in church. <laughs> so, uh, but I don't have a glove for everybody. So could you just pretend right now that you have a glove? Could you show me your glove, please? Amen. Now you have to be alert. Listen to me. In baseball, this is the idea, okay? If you're on the field, you have to be alert. If the baseball is hit at you, you must catch it. And what happens if you drop it? The guy is safe. Cannot allow that. So keep your eyes open. Keep it 100, man. Keep it 100. Thank you. All right? So here we are. I'm, I'm going to hit you three baseballs, okay? Are you ready? Now, we're going to pretend, okay? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> he knows. Because, I mean, these people may take me seriously. <laughs> Come, come on now. Show me the first baseball. Bang! Do you catch it? Come on now, you are too slow. <laughs> uh, do you have it in your glove? Okay, let me tell you what we just caught. Ball number one. Here it is. When we prayed, hallowed be thy name, big things happen. In other words, it is not that we pray for ourselves. We pray for the glory of God. Hallow means to honor God the Father. To make Him happy. It means to glorify Him, to worship Him, to adore Him, to cherish Him, to value Him. That's what it means to hallow the name of God the Father. And He's saying, if you pray every prayer through the grid... Of hallow be thy name, I am going to transform you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to revival. Don't you think that we are in a desperate need of revival in America? Don't you believe that if there's a time in the history of this country that we desperately need revival is now, not tomorrow? Ain't going to happen without prayer. Ain't going to happen without hallowing his name. So could you do me a favor? Could you repeat with me this first ball? See that you have it in your glove. Come on, together. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, big things happen. We pray big to a big God who wants you to enter into the perpetual love affair that Jesus and he have together, and here's the clincher, without interruption or distraction. We don't want to be distracted. We want to be in there. We want to be in there like Christ. We don't want to get away. We want to be with our Father. We want to experience His love, His compassion, His mercy, His peace, His power. Don't you want to have His power? Of course, it is yours through radical biblical prayer. So that's born number one. Born number two. Here we go. Are you ready? Show me your glove. Wait, wait, wait. Show me your glove. Uh-huh. Come on now, John. Give me the curveball. Bang! You got it? Man, now you're in the game. Now you're in the game. Now you're in the game. Listen. I play baseball. I never came home with my uniform clean. You get that? You get dirty. D-I-R-T-Y. Do it. 
right this year. This is, this, is this is the moment. So here's the ball that you just caught. Here it is. Pray radically to love. Radically. Radically means to go back to the roots. Who's the root? Jesus Christ. His word is the root. That's our foundation. That's the rock, right, that we believe, correct? In other words, to pray is to love. And to love is to pray. I cannot tell my brother John here that I love him unless I am committed to pray for him radically, biblically. Taking the word of God and taking it to the Father. You see, Jesus, you know Jesus? Um, He never did anything without praying. He did not make any moves without praying. He didn't make any decisions without praying. He got his father's approval. Don't you want to hear this morning? How bad? How bad do you want to hear this morning on your ear? Only one voice. That's my boy. That's my girl in whom I am well pleased. You and I need to hear our father's approval. We need to hear our father's affirmation. That does not happen without a that does happen without prayer. Prayer is a not one thing we do, is what we do. And listen, 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 listen. Not to pray for the impossible is to offend God. Think about that. Think about that. So can we repeat this together? Pray radically to love radically. Okay, let me make one more point here, please. What is our ministry as Christians? Is to become like who? Like Michael Jordan? <laughs> Don't please. What is our ministry? Is to become like who? Like Christ. Oh, here's my point. Here's my point. If you get this point, you got the message. Here it is. To be like Christ is to pray like Christ. That's it. God the Father is saying, be like my son Jesus. He came to show you and to tell you the way to me. He came to show you that he is the only objective truth that will set you free. He's saying he is the life, L-I-F-E, living in freedom every day. Don't go back again to Egypt. Don't go back to bondage. Stay free. How do we do that? Through a vibrant, constant, consistent, radical, bold, persistent, biblical prayer. With us. That's, what, that's how we do it. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. Point number three. Point number, show me the glove. Thank you. Okay, yeah, now, make it a good one now. Because I've been hitting every ball. Bang! No, that was a ground ball. You missed it. <laughs> Let's give John a big hand. Come on. Thank you, John. Thank you. This third point is why we wrote the book, Radical Prayer. Now, think about this, guys. What is a Cuban refugee? ex-convict doing, writing a book about prayer. Isn't that crazy? When there are so many great books out there that about prayer. But I think that you're going to see now 
the uniqueness of this book. Not only because it has so many stories that are all true. Including my own daughter, Sasha, who found me 14 years ago. You see, I used to be a womanizer. I used to be a sex addict. You see, uh, uh, becoming a sexual addict is more difficult, is more worse to get out of from than alcohol and drugs put together. Plus, females are more expensive than drugs and alcohol put together. <laughs> but my daughter, Sasha, found me. It's in my first book, but in my second book, she is chapter 10. She became a Christian a year and a half ago because of persistent prayer. Amen. 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 So here it is. This is the third ball that you just caught. Maybe you missed because it was a ground ball. But here it is. The third point, it is here. And it's become very, very, very personal to me. God our Father is our good, good Father. He's not our paramedic. In other words, when you're in trouble and you call 911, they come to help you. When they finish helping you, you don't know who they are, right? You don't know their names. You don't have a relationship with them. You will not even remember them again. You don't even know how they look like. It seems to me that many of us call on God and we have made him to be a paramedic. Let me explain. Before I do that, could we repeat that together, please? Point number three. God our Father is our good, good Father. He's not our paramedic. Next slide. This has become very personal because that's my car. That's our car. And you know who is inside that car? My wife. She's bleeding, almost died, lost three fingers. We call that the gloving. Three fingers, Alabama, good to see you. And... And the fingers were found on the pavement. You see, I was a graduate of Wheaton College with two degrees. God called me into ministry. Now, six years ago, 20 years when this happened, I was preaching. I was 87 pounds heavier. I was busy, but I was not really conducting God's business the way that he wanted to because I was beginning to believe that now I was having success because of my education, because of my preaching, because of my books, because and because and because. And God said, no, 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 no. I don't share my glory with nobody. I'm the only one that gets hollow here. Not you. You are my subject. You have nothing to offer. I saved you. I rescued you. I purchased you. You are mine to do what I say. When I say it, how I say it, and how many times I say it. That's what he told me. So he began to wake me up. And after the surgery, my wife's hand was very ugly. I was going to stay with my wife. But you see, I'm not blaming anybody here. But let me talk to the husbands here. I am to be blamed for that. I take responsibility for those fingers. 
because I was not the crown of my wife. I was not the covering of my wife. I was not praying for their walking out and walking in. I was not covering my wife with prayer. I was not loving my wife with radical prayer. Remember what I told you? To love is to pray and to pray is to love. I was not doing that. And God used that to begin to wake me up. You see, I remember going to the place of the crash. And the chief of police was there. And I said, chief, my wife is in there. I wanted to go now. I wanted to go and rescue my wife. Really, now? I mean, now when the trouble happened, now you want to be a good husband? Really? Really, Manny Mel? So, so, so he, he said to me, Manny, it's nothing that you can do. Oh, don't tell that to a man or to a Cuban. Of course we can want to do something, right? Right? He told me, Manny, I, we have it covered. He said, but you can do one thing that you can pray. Beloved, the moment that he said that, I felt convicted. I felt guilty. Because there I was, God's minister, God's agent of mercy for others. And I was treating God like a paramedic. I was coming to him because now my wife was in trouble and I caused that. Well, I went to this conference just a couple months after that. I didn't want to go because I wanted to stay home with my wife. I want to be a good husband, you see. But she got in the mail the brochure about this conference and it was about prayer. You see, our wives knows us better than we know ourselves. And she began to sense that there was something happening in me that the Holy Spirit was beginning to awaken me. So she sent me, you see, she's German and I'm Cuban. Can you tell that? So Castro and Hitler, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, so she overpowered me. She overpowered me. So I had to go. So I went. I went. And listen, I know many of the speakers I knew many of the pastors there. They were my friends. And they talked about prayer. Amazing sermons. I found this out. That 80% of the evangelical Christian pastors in America do not possess a personal private prayer life. In other words, the men that get paid to pray don't pray. Therefore... The people in the pews are not praying either. Also find out that pastors and Christian men don't pray with their wives. No wonder we have a fatherless society. No wonder the devil is having a field day with the family in America. You see, the family is the fabric of society. The family is the anchor of the church. And the war is no longer half in and half out. No, the war is already in the church. And this war is bloody and have no mercy. Therefore, we better get awakened today. And we better get to know this Father because we are in desperate need of grace. So she sent me to this conference. And you know what happened? We talked about prayer, but we never prayed. 
I came home destroyed. This is a true story. I came home destroyed. I said, Barbara, I had to get away. So I did for three days. And I wanted God the Father to evaluate. Now 20 years of ministry. No cell phone, no computer. The first hour of my meeting with my father, he gave me my grade. Yes, he did. You know what it was? An F minus. Because my prayer life stunk, it was putrefied. And he took me to the book of Deuteronomy, and he showed me that his main guy, Moses, got fired. In other words, Moses had no do-over. Moses received mercy. Yes, he did. But he was taken out and was replaced with Joshua. You see? And he says to me, Manny Mel, tell me one reason why I should not fire you. I fire Moses. Can you compare yourself to Moses? I said, no way. I'm all the way down there. You crazy or something? I, I cannot compare myself with Moses. And you know what I did? I began to weep. I began to cry out to God. I said, God, I need your mercies. Not just every morning. I need your mercies every moment. I need your mercy at 2.15 in the morning. Hallelujah. And guess what? He was so gracious to me that he gave it to me. And he told me, don't you do this again. I want you to begin to walk with me like Enoch. And don't you get yourself detached from me. Become radical. Tell the church that I want them to come to me and to pray. Tell the church I am a good father. Tell the church that I want them back. I want my children back. God is saying to you today, he wants you back. And he wants you back now. Because he's a good father. And then he took me to Luke 11. If you have your Bibles with you. Could you open it with me, please? You see, I told you I have two degrees. I thought I'd, I knew the Bible. I thought that I knew how to pray, but I didn't. So I'm not here to accuse anybody. I'm just here to, to, to tell you about my experience, which is beginning to connect with thousands of people around the country. Because in reality, we are not praying. In reality, we are treating God like a paramedic. If you want to come clean with God, and if you want the Holy Spirit to take inventory of you, you know that you must come to the altar today. You know that you need to come and do business with God. Because you see, I know Pastor S. Hart. His heart is to see that this church will be obedient to the foundation of the church. Jesus said, in Mark 11, he says, My house 
shall be a house of prayer for the nations. Therefore, you see, everybody here has been given an order. We have been given an impossible mission. It's called the Great Commission. We have to go. We have to arise. We have to obey God. And we have to fulfill the Great Commission. How in the world are we going to do that without prayer? You tell me. You tell me, what is your strategy? Because you and I are going to be held accountable for that. You and I are going to be asked, how come you didn't pray? How come you were watching TV? How come you were doing your own thing? No, let's get that fixed right now. And he wants to use you. So he took me to Luke 11. So our new book is about a very provocative very insightful, in a humble way I'm saying this, very clear way of looking with the eyes of Christ. Now my eyes, the eyes of Jesus, to look at them. So look at verse 1. Verse 1 says that Jesus was praying. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, money meal. If Jesus was praying, how about you? <laughs> if Jesus, who is perfect, who is God, who has it all together, who keeps it 100, who came and died on your place, went to the cross so you don't have to hang in there to vindicate my holy name, his holy name. How about you, money mail? I have no answer. And the disciples were watching him. You see, in life, most things that we know are not taught. They are caught. That's why you're a disciple. Because you follow Christ. You're catching everything. He's teaching you correct. And what happens? The disciples said, man, we need to pray like that. You see, it's not that they have not seen him pray. Of course, this is about two and a half years into his ministry, almost to the cross, almost to Calvary. But there was something different about this prayer meeting. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us? So from this moment on, it's not my voice anymore. It is the voice of Jesus. I'm going to go verse by verse, like you guys love it, like like. You guys are trained to do at Calvary Chapel. And I'm going to tell you verse by verse, now what I'm saying, now what I'm saying, now my opinion, Jesus' opinion. And that counts, right? And when he speaks, what do we do when he speaks? We listen. How quickly do we listen? Quickly. And how quickly do we obey? You see, if we don't Listen, and we don't obey without delay. We're always going to fall for the blessing. And you know what the Father wants to do with you today? He wants you to experience. This is powerful. He wants you to experience the same exact blessings and benefits of Jesus. That's crazy, isn't it? But that's truth. Because God is not a respected person's. I mean, he's not. So, say, okay, you want me to teach you? You see, Dwight L. Moody said this, that Jesus never taught his disciples to preach. But he taught his disciples to pray. Isn't that an amazing quote? 
So here we are, verse 2. Remember, we have asked Jesus this morning to teach us on prayer, right? So verse 2 says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I thought, with all of my schooling, I thought that verse 2, hallowed be thy name, was just an acclamation or a worship. And it could be. But when you look at this context a little closer, you find out that hallowed be thy name is not just an acclamation, it's a petition. Ooh. If you see that, it will change your entire prayer life, and then you cannot wait to pray. You're going to pray without ceasing, you see. We want to see this church become a house of prayer. Pastor Ed wants to see this church become a house of prayer. You see, the prayer meeting during the week has to be more crowded and more vibrant than the Sunday morning and, and last night service. You see what I'm saying? So, hallowed be thy name, Jesus is saying, is the priority of his Father. And then he says, let your kingdom come. For what? To hallow his name. Then he says, let your will be done on earth as in heaven. For what reason? To hallow his name. In other words, hallowed be thy name is the prayer through which we pray everything. Everything. Everything you pray has to be prayed for the only purpose, the only aim of hallowing your father's, my father's name. Is that clear? And now look at the switch. He goes from the majestic and the glorious to the mundane. Comes to us because he wants to show you that he cares for your health. He cares for your hope. And he cares for you. Holiness, because without it, you won't be able to see God. So here we are, health. Verse 3. It says, it says, ask your father for some bread. He'll give it to you. Because he wants you to have energy to pray. He wants you to have energy to hallow his name. Then he says, he wants to give you hope. You see, the core of the Christian life is that we have been forgiven. The gospel, in the essence of the gospel, is a bloody issue. It's a payment that you and I could not pay. So Christ became a ransom. He became a substitute. He went to Egypt and he rescued us. He purchased you out of slavery. He wants to be your father forever, you see. So he says, forgive me. And help me to forgive others, he says. You see, we want to be forgiven, right? But maybe today you must come to the altar because your heart is hard. Is like cement. And you have not been able to forgive that person or that father that abused you. Or that guy that took your money. I don't know what your problem is. But you said, but he says, you must forgive. You see, he wants to take the cement in your heart and make it wet. I guess so he can tattoo with his bloody hands the name of Jesus in your heart. That's what he wants. He wants your heart to be as tender 
and as compassionate as Christ had. You see, the word compassion means, in the Latin to means, means to suffer with. He wants to build. He wants to deepen and widen your capacity to suffer for others by praying for them, by feeling for them, you see. So he's saying, forgive. That's our hope, isn't it? And then holiness, right? He's saying in the text that we have the text on the, on the screen, verse 4, he says, do, do, do not lead us into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, right? Christ came to destroy, 1 John 3, 8, he came to destroy all the evil works of the devil, right? The word evil, E-V-I-L, look at this. Christ came to turn that thing around, L. I V E, he came that you may live. You may live. So he wants you to be holy. So the structure is not really three plus three, right? Three for God. Hallowed be that name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give me some food. Forgive me. Keep me from evil, right? That's six, right? And that could be a good structure. But he's the clincher. The structure of the Lord's Prayer, who also appears in Matthew 6, with a different ending, by the way, <laughs> is not 3 plus 3, it's 1 plus 5. Ooh. In other words, the 5 on the bottom serve the 1 on top. Hallowed be thy name is the petition. And he, he goes now into a parable, into a story, and the Bible has many of them, don't they? And he goes into this very bizarre story that only appears here. And this story is very unpopular because it doesn't fit the grid of the American church. Because you see, we believe that if we ask God, we want God to do it now. We want God to do it when we want him to do it, you see. But this story doesn't say that. Remember, it is Jesus saying, I'm going to teach you, right? So the story goes this way. He says that this guy comes to my house at midnight. He's been all day traveling, knocks on my door. Hey, money, can I stay with you? Of course, I am obligated by culture to say, hey, come in. I have to give him what? Hospitality, right? So what happens? He comes in. The bed is ready. But I go into the pantry. I go into the freezer. And I am broke. I have nothing to offer. Ah. The main thing about prayer is this, that you have to believe and know that you're broke, that you have nothing to offer, that you have nothing in you to put on God's table. So what happens? You become desperate now. See, we become desperate. When we need to pray, it's not because we need to pray, it's because we want to pray. We become desperate. We don't come to the Father for what He's going to give us. We come because of who he is. He's our father, you see. So now I go. You see, in every story in the Bible, we have to find out, number one, who am I and where is God? Where am I and where is God? In this story, it's simple to find where am I. I'm the guy who's not going to go out and in a seat for my neighbor, right, who needs some food, so I go to my friend. That implies that I've been there before. So I go, I knock on the door, and my friend tells me, go away. Really? Really? I'm sleeping. Really? Oh, so where is getting the story? Well, listen, I want to propose to you this morning that God is being represented 
but the guy behind the door who just told me to go away, who just told me that he was busy, he was sleeping with his children, who just told me that he's not going to get up. It doesn't say that he doesn't have it because all, it, all I'm asking is for three loaves of bread for my friend, you see. But I told you that Jesus said that hallowed be thy name is what? The petition, right? That's the aim, right? So therefore, I cannot go anywhere. I have to stay there because I don't have anybody else that can give me what I need because my purpose is what? Is to hallow his name. So look at verse 8. Verse 8 says that the guy got up not because he was my friend. The guy got up because of his what? Of his persistency. His inappropriateness, you see. In other words, he's saying, listen, the purpose is that you will persist because when you persist, not for yourself, and when you pray, hallowed be thy name, big things will happen, and therefore we cannot quit because Christ did not quit. You have to stay at the door. God, I know that you're in there. I'm not going to go anywhere. I, I see you in there. I, I need you to give me this bread because I cannot bring any shame to you. I cannot go back with my hands empty because at stake is your glory. Do you see it? Do you see why we persist? Do you see why we are bold? And then he's so masterful that in verses 9 and 10, he interprets for us. What it means to persist. He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and what? And you shall find. Knock, the door will be open. And look at verse 10. It's like he said, did you get that? Okay, you didn't get it? Let me tell you. He says, for everyone. Everyone who? All of my children. He says, for everyone who asks will receive. For everyone who seeks will find. For everyone that knocks on the door, the door will be open. You see, there are three verbs. There are three verbs. Ask, seek, and knock. And they have no ending. In other words, you have to stay in there until God opens the door and say, Here, my boy, here, my girl, I want you to hallow my name. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? And then what happened? He gives us an amazing illustration. He says, Who are you as a father? If your son asks you for some Cuban bread, toasted with butter and jelly. Are you hungry yet? I'm hungry. Who, you as a father, are going to give him a stone? Will you do that, sir, for your son? Will you give him a stone? Oh, no, 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 okay. Say, who among you fathers, if you sort of ask you for some scrambled eggs with mushroom? Spinach, chorizo, ah, chorizo, ah, tomato, ah. Would you give him a scorpion? Would you, would, you, would, you, would you give him a scorpion if he asked you for some eggs like that? No, okay, good, good, good. How about if he asked you for some fish? A salmon, broil with garlic, you know, Cubans drink garlic, you know, with garlic and that. Would you give him? A serpent? No. I'd like you now to pay, I want to bring you now your attention to verse 13. 
Verse 13 has changed my entire prayer life. Verse 13 has made me hungry, hungrier, to make my father happier. Because you see, our stake is this. I have to be joyful. I cannot pray to a God that I am angry with. I cannot pray to a God that I have a beef with. I cannot pray to a God that, 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 that I don't know. <laughs> you see, I have to get to know him, you see. And he's telling me in verse 13, look at this. If you, now who is you here? Is that those people out there? Okay, could you take your finger and point it to you? This is for you. Uh, this is for you. Got that? Got that? Now, I don't want to take this bat and hit you over the head. But I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is... I should have brought the sword that Pastor Ed has in his, in his office. It penetrates. It convicts. Alabama, it convicts. If you then being what? Good? Being terrific? Being awesome? Being amazing? Is that what you're saying? You see... Jesus is now putting you and I in our place. He's speaking to us. He's not giving us false hope. He's not giving me half truth. He's giving me grace and truth together. Hallelujah. Because he loves me. He loves me. God is love. He wants to embrace you today. He wants to weep with you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. This this. Soon here. Soon here. Then he says, If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I want you guys to begin to stand and go deep in the how much more of the Father you see. This Father has unlimited resources, He has unlimited grace. He says, come to me, partake from my radical grace. I want to empower you so you can hallow my name, so you stop bringing me shame. I want you to become a radical witness for me. Die to self, be like you. Brother Jesus, that's what he's saying to you this morning, this afternoon. Do you hear his voice? He's saying, how much more? With you, Heavenly Father. You see, he begins with verse (laughs) 2. Our Father. You see how inclusive he is? He's not saying, it's only my Father. No. He wants you to be included. This is a very good God, guys. This is a very good God. Your other option is the devil. It's the devil. You don't want him to keep raping you. You want God to love you, not to abuse you, to heal you, to restore you. He wants you. That is not good that, that, that you want it. The FBI wanted me, but now God wants me. And then he says, give what? He wants to give you what? Holy Spirit. To those who what? Here. A-S-K, ask, seek, and knock. Let me end with this truth. 
I'm a biblicist. I'm a biblicist. Love the Word of God. I like to provoke people to think biblically and to act biblically. It is true that the Father took his face away on the cross when he was brutally abused. Christ was brutally abused. He was not even recognizable. And who here as a father have the stomach of the gods to witness the execution of your son who you may not even recognize because he's bleeding so much, has, has a back that is wide open with wounds and, 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 and he's been given vinegar and a crown of, of, of thorns. Who, any father here have the guts to do that? I don't think so. So the Father is showing you that He feels for you, that He knows how you feel as a father, you see. So He's saying, listen, I know about my Father. He showed His face away. And the Bible says that. That's true. But the Bible does not tell me anywhere that the Holy Spirit was now with Jesus. So He's saying, what is your problem? If your problem is now bigger than a dead Jesus, then you and the Holy Spirit who did not come to pay rent in your house, he came to own your house. You and the Holy Spirit, you can handle it together. In other words, I am giving you the best solution to your problem. I don't care how deep is your problem because my problem was big. I was paying for you sins. I was carrying you sins. I was being crucified for you. Nobody here has ever or will suffer more than Christ Jesus. You see, he went through hell for us. So he's saying, ask him. Seek him. Knock him. He will always come to your rescue if you Motivation and your desire is to hallow his name. So now I want you to listen to me, please. He's giving you this afternoon now an invitation to come to him. You know your situation. You thought that maybe you were saved, but you're not saved. I'm not making that call. The Holy Spirit is making that call. You've been treating God like a paramedic. You've been too proud to humble yourself. He's saying, I don't care what you've done. I'm going to give you mercy today. I'm going to hide my wrath behind my back. And I'm going to offer you radical mercy this morning, this afternoon. There will be people coming here to intercede for you. I trust that this service will spark through the power of the Holy Spirit a revival in this church. A revival of repentance with godly sorrow. You see, prayer begins by reviving you first. And then you being that vessel of mercy to offer the same revival to others that you receive because we are at in debt of grace. So I'm going to ask you to stand up with me, please. Stand up with me, please. And I'm going to, in a seat for you right now, a short prayer. Love to meet you. 
There will be many people here praying for you. Don't waste this opportunity. If we have to be here until 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, if I have to change my flight, I'll do it. My flight leaves at 7.15. If I have to change it, then you pay for the difference. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, God will pay for the difference. So let me pray for you. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will now begin to speak to you if he has not done so. So, Father, I thank you so much for giving me this privilege, this freedom at Calvary Chapel. Thank you for the blessing of my friend, Ed Taylor. Thank you for the blessing of the pastoral staff here. Thank you for the blessing of an amazing worship team and an amazing security team and amazing sound people. Thank you for the people back there on the slides. And thank you for Scott on the sound. And I thank you, God, for all the people, the lights. And God, this is an amazing church. But Father, you want to make it better. You want to make it better. You wanted to spray in there how much more. So I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you will begin to speak to each person here individually. And that they will see their desperate and urgent need to come forth to you to pray and to do business with you in a way that they will hallow your name. And I pray, God, that you will revive them and that you will give them a desire to pray to build a relationship with you through radical biblical prayer. So I commit this time to you, Father, and I cannot wait for you to surprise us. Father, would you now surprise us? Would you revive us? Would you recharge us? Would you reboot us? Would you use Pastor Ian now, Father, to continue this great service that you've given to us, service unto you, as we worship you and you alone, our Father, in Jesus' name, in the power of your Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. Thank you. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.